Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 15 through 19. Listen, will you, for the word of God as it's proclaimed through these words of the author of Ephesians. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. Holy wisdom, holy word. So last Sunday was a joyful day here at North Haven. It was just a week after the tornado blew through our community. But there was comfort in being here as we grieved with those who were and still are dealing with the aftermath from that storm. There was joy in our communion because we were here, we were together, and God was here too, breathing into us a spirit of hope. The choir sang Psalm 121, and they sang the prayer of St. Francis, and the power of that music touched me deeply. And even as I became teary at the depth of emotion that was in the room, there was joy. There was joy, not the giggly kind of joy, but something deeper, connective, atmospheric, that kind of joy. But that wasn't the end of it. Last Sunday night, we had close to 150 people at our fall festival. Kids of all ages from the church and from the neighborhood. We had a wolf in a granny gown named Dave. We had a little red riding hood named Nancy. We had a couple of pirates named Leighton and Renee. We had a couple of pink-haired witches named Fran and Mary Ellen. We had a Harry Potter in the house, size small, medium, and large. We had tunes by Larry and Stephanie and a chili contest that brought out the competitiveness of my smack-talking husband. No, well, third. <laughs> he did not win the chili contest, <laughs> but he did place. So we're happy with that. And when I expressed my surprise at the turnout we had, the great turnout we had, Norma Terrell said to me, Marty, we need joy. 
Yes, we do. We need joy. We need joy. Now, the writer of Ephesians does not use the word joy in the text, but joy that is both deep and collective, joy that makes us cry and makes us laugh, I think that joy is the result of knowing God, so that the eyes of our hearts are enlightened and we gain a spirit of wisdom. Our text goes on to say that this wisdom that we gain from knowing God results in three things. We have hope. We have hope. We are aware of the rich inheritance that is ours through the holy ones, the saints, those who are still among us, those who have gone on to before us and are now part of our great cloud of witnesses. We have this holy and rich inheritance that comes from our saints. And thirdly, we acknowledge the power of God that works within us towards a transformed world. The same power that raised Christ, it is within us, working towards a transformed world. Thanks be to God. Friends, when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, we are hopeful, we are aware of the inheritance we receive from the saints that are in our community, and we know that God's power is at work within us to transform the world. And we have joy, joy. Today we start a worship series based on the wonderful hymn text by Shirley Arena Murray called For Everyone Born. It's an amazing text. We sing it often. I never tire of it. The refrain goes like this, God will delight when we are creators of justice and joy compassion and peace. Yes, God will delight when we are creators of justice, justice and joy. God delights when we are creators of justice and joy. It's so appropriate that we start this worship series on All Saints Sunday because that's what saints do. These holy ones who know God, the eyes of their hearts are enlightened, and they are creators of justice and joy. In his book, All Saints, Robert Ellsberg reminds us that saints are not perfect human beings. We'd like them to be perfect because that would let the rest of us off the hook, wouldn't it? But they are not perfect human beings in their own individual fashion, however. They have become authentic human beings. Here's what Ellsberg says, saints are those who realized the vocation for which all human beings are created, that is to be authentically human, connected with God, expressing the love and the power of God that is within us. He says, saints have this aura of transcendence that has little to do with miracles but it's because of the light that shines through them. The light that shines through them 
That is, they are illuminated by something beyond themselves, helping us to realize our lives are also illuminated by that same source, right? They have this holy light that shines through them, as do we, each and every one of us has that same light. That's what saints do. They verify for us that the gospel can be lived. No one's called to be another Saint Mother Teresa or another Saint Oscar Romero, but says Ellsberg, there is a path to holiness that lies within our individual circumstances, that engages our talents and temperaments, that contends with our strengths and weaknesses, that responds to the needs of our own neighbors and our particular moment in history. Today we celebrate the saints who have gone on to the great cloud of witnesses that is with us but not present in physical form. We acknowledge the rich inheritance that we receive here at North Haven because of these saints. Their legacy is one of justice and joy. And I want you all to know these saints. I want you all to know them. Their fingerprints are all over this community. What a good thing it is for us to remember them. So I want to mention to you this morning just a couple and share just a few things about them. These are folks that you may not have had the opportunity to know. Around the year 1971, a beautiful young woman was the only Anglo member of an organization called the Panel of American Women, a diverse group who spoke to various Dallas organizations and gatherings about their experiences with racism and sexism. Here are some of her words from that day in 1971. I am Jody Furnish, a representative of the white majority. I am able to go most anywhere and do most anything my income and education allow. I enjoy all the privileges of our democracy. There are many doors open to me in this society that are closed to others. So I believe with my privileged situation in life comes the responsibility to do something about the imbalance of justice in this corner of the earth. This is not a nation with equal liberty and justice for all. She went on to say of her segregated upbringing in the park cities of the 1930s that she was cheated of variety. She says, my freedom to make decisions was stunted because my access to knowledge was so controlled. Jody Furnish was keenly aware of her privilege long before white privilege was a culturally acknowledged thing. She used her privilege, her voice, and her remarkable determination to empower women and to seek equality and justice for all people. 
She was a short-term missionary for a school operated by the United Methodist Church in what was then the Belgian Congo. And true to her free spirit and her, her commitment to equality, she lived in the bush with the young women in their girls' dorm instead of in the main house where, where the other missionaries lived. In 1968, the year of Martin Luther King's assassination, Jody and Victor invited into their home a multiracial group of 80 neighbors. The announced topic was neighborhood stabilization, and their desire was to try to nurture a mutually enriching integration of black and white residents. Thus began years of community involvement that helped deter white flight. They advocated for a swimming pool for the neighborhood. They started a community center at an elementary school. They started a community newspaper. Jody understood and welcomed the power of God at work within her towards the transformation of her community. She's one of our saints. Her story is part of our story. When Wes Kennedy succumbed this year to the ravages of Huntington's disease, his partner Sam Hawk described him as all love. That's quite a remarkable thing to say about another human being, particularly given the circumstances of Wes's life. He was all love by the grace of God. Wes's father was described as a mean and horrible person. Rather than supporting Wes, he stole his college fund. Both of his parents struggled with addiction, perhaps mental illness. Neither was able to provide love for Wes in, in ways that were healthy. And when Wes was 14 years old, his mother died by suicide after she started to experience the devastating symptoms of her own Huntington's disease. Emotionally, Wes was alone in the world. Eventually, he put himself through college at Auburn, graduating in 1983 with a degree in psychology. After hearing a call to ministry, he enrolled at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. Before finishing his degree, he went to Arkansas, where he was a youth minister at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock. During that time, he lived with an older couple, prominent in the church. He was particularly close to his surrogate mom, who was devoted to supporting him in his ministry. Until he confided in her that he was gay. Wes rightly argued, Jesus still loves me. He was immediately dismissed from her home and from the church. When he returned to seminary to finish his degree, he was kicked out of school as well. For the second time in his life, he was abandoned by mother and father figures, and this time by the church as well. For a while, he left a church 
that had left him first. Here's the thing. Wes knew God. Wes knew God. He seemed to know that God had not left him. God had not left him. In fact, God within him was only strengthening him. Spiritually, it seems that Wes became stronger, more resilient with these betrayals. He found a new ministry. He became an HIV-AIDS educator, first with Dallas County and then with UT Southwestern. His greatest concern was for those who were most vulnerable, those who were overlooked. He drove a mobile testing van to clubs in Dallas so that he could care for prostitutes there. He once took three planes, a bus, and a bicycle to get to a village in Zambia. He was on the forefront, the, the front lines at the height of the epidemic in South Africa and Botswana. From West, we receive an inheritance, a holy inheritance of resiliency and hope. He is one of our saints. He's part of our story, too. These are just two of the holy ones that we will name and remember today. We will also name James Carswell, Inez Emirkan, Jane Marshall, Charlotte Walker, all of whom are members of our church. They are all remembered for the many, many ways that they delighted God with their gifts of justice and joy. They are part of the great cloud of witnesses we celebrate. Their fingerprints are all over this community. We remember them with great joy and with gratitude. I came across these words by Indian author Arundhati Roy. Another world is not only possible, she's on her way. Many of us won't be there to greet her. But on a quiet day, if you listen carefully, you can hear her breathing. Saints remind us to listen for this new creation, to live in this new creation, to participate in the justice and joy of this new creation. Our saints remind us of these things. Their stories are part of our story. We are so grateful. Amen.